Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. It's an emergency podcast. Some breaking news on this podcast. The Trojans will be playing football this fall. We just got off a bunch of calls with Pac-12 and USC Athletic Director Mike Bone. So Keely Yor and myself will be breaking down all of the news. A seven-game Pac-12 conference-only schedule starting on the weekend of November 7th. And there will be a Pac-12 championship game on December 18th. And the final group of games will be that weekend. So we're talking about all that with Keely Yor. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or you can call us or text us at 424-254-9141. We're really excited that Pac-12 football will be back. All of the Power Five uh, conferences will be playing this fall, and now USC and the Pac-12 will be a part of that. So let's welcome in Keely Yor. You can follow her on Twitter, at Keely is my name. We didn't do a show earlier this week. We were sort of waiting for this to happen because we knew the Pac-12 CEO group uh, would be meeting today. They did. They had an announcement, and that's what we're going to talk about. Keely, how are you? Hello, hello, Ryan. Doing well. An exciting day. We knew this day would be newsy, but still, it's a lot of information to consume. So hopefully we can uh, synthesize it well here on the pod. We'll do our best. I took a lot of notes during all these meetings, and uh, there's a lot of tweets and stuff going on. And so we wanted to kind of save all this for uh, after the meetings, but end up happening. The one meeting was at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Pac-12. Uh, and then there we had a meeting at 6 p.m. with uh, USC Athletic Director Mike Bowen. So we had to wait till after all that. So it's a late on a Thursday when we're recording this. We wanted to get you know the the latest to everyone out there. Um, but yeah, I'm ready to do it. We don't usually do the, like the later night pods, uh, which is more your kind of sleep schedule anyway, I guess. Yeah, this is more the Family Feud style of recording. So welcome to the club, Ryan. <laughs> nice. Well, you guys will probably have to do a show sometime over the weekend or something, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, just want to thank our sponsor before we jump into everything, Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us during the entire pandemic and before that. And uh, it's always a great experience going to Trader Joe's and uh, checking them out. I bought those, uh, the, the milk chocolate um, peanut butter cups, and man, are they addicting. Uh, I went out of town for a little while and I kept them in the fridge. And I came home and I still had some in the fridge. I was like, yes, but now I can't stop eating them. They're kind of addicting. So I just keep jumping in there. But they got lots of great stuff over at Trader Joe's. And like I said, they've been a... A great sponsor here. I love my experience going to shop there. Uh, it just it seems to get better as things go on. So thanks again uh, to Trader Joe's uh, for all their help. And uh, it's been it's been a tough, long offseason. They've been with us the whole way. So we do appreciate that. But now, Keely, the offseason is going to end. We actually can talk about football. But we, we sort of need to catch everyone up, I guess, on where we are, right? So the last episode we did, it was about nine days ago, the players sent that uh, letter to Governor Gavin Newsom, and that really just started the ball rolling. There were so many things happening after that. That was a huge news day, sort of quiet between now and then. You know, you had the Big Ten, you know, they announced they're coming back and all of that. But today was another big news day with all the Pac-12 stuff going on. 
Yeah, I mean, the last we talked about on this podcast, it was that USC was working behind the scenes to get things going to try. Now that they have the capability to test daily to then ramp things up with California, both at the state level and the local level. So then we see very publicly USC's players have a, a, a letter, an open letter to Gavin Newsom. And then what do we see the next day? Gavin Newsom's asked a question in his daily press conference about it in between wildfires and pandemics. And he, and he says, well, you know what? California is not doing anything to stop college football from being played. <laughs> it was Which just was like, like a, what? a collective double take from everyone who's paid attention to this story at all. And so he said that it was a misconception, which now he was being disingenuous because like two uh, sentences later, he said he reiterated that USC's or the, the state's cohort number was 12 still, which uh, if anyone knows football, you can't just play with the 12 same people in a cohort. So there were still restrictions. And so that was something where uh, Gavin Newsom said that they would work with uh, the the universities to kind of renegotiate that. But it was kind of disingenuous. A lot of people were like, wait, he's saying one thing, but in reality, the people who are working with the the, the state and the county say, that's not right. That's the, We've been restricted this whole time. So there was work to be done since Wednesday, last Wednesday happened, because it seemed like the county and the state didn't really know what they were comfortable with in terms of football. They said, yes, you can play football, but the cohort number still wasn't being uh, negotiated right. So that's something that Wilner, John Wilner of the Mercury News reported today that apparently has gotten figured out. Ryan, I know you asked Mike Bone a question about it, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But yes, so then... Well, look what happens when you publicly embarrass public officials. They change their tune very quickly. And here we are. Uh, the C- Pac-12 CEO group voted today to have Pac-12 football commence in fall. So a 180, Ryan. Yeah. You know, politics get involved. We're not going to dive into the politics. But really, we saw it in the Big Ten. Uh, you had, you know, governors weighing in. You had, you know, the president of the United States weighing in and and taking some credit for the Big Ten football coming back. And I think in that aspect, there were a lot, there was a lot of that going on. He tweeted something about the Pac-12. And then when it became, you know, it was it was fine for Governor Gavin Newsom to like, hey, these are the rules, we're keeping everyone safe. But once it turned to, you're stopping football from being played on the West Coast, he was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Well, but here's the rules you have to follow. And I think there was a lot of misunderstanding. I think John Wilner reported this too, and I was able to confirm this through uh, some USC sources as well, that really they just thought it would be safer to play football in smaller groups because they just don't want it to spread. But you're not, you're, it's not safe for the student athletes. You can't practice football in small groups. So I think there was a, a misunderstanding there. I know John Wilner reported that that's, that's a hurdle that's been cleared, but they're, they're still going through a, a formal process. And I think everything, if it goes through at the state level, which it, it seems like it will, uh, then it'll pass at the county level as well. L.A. County, the paperwork I saw was sort of like, just follow the state guidelines. And right now, it's cohorts of six to 12 people. You can't practice football that way. So I don't anticipate that being uh, an issue. It was a unanimous vote uh, from the Pac-12 uh, CEO group today to play. Um, we'll get into some of those details. But there were there's definitely issues. Colorado had some issues that came up today where the city of or the county of Boulder was limiting group activities for 18 to 22 year olds, which really seems sort of like specific. It just doesn't seem very constitutional. <laughs> like if you're between 18 and 22, you can't go to, you know, you can't hang out in a group. But you old people, you can go hang out in a group like that. I mean, 
uh, there's got to be some legal ramifications there. But there was that, you know, Stanford's having uh, some issues. But it seems like with the unanimous CEO vote today, Keeley, that they feel like those issues can be overcome and uh, we'll be able to have Pac-12 football. But, you know, that's that's where we're heading. Uh, November 7th, that weekend would be the opening weekend. There was some talk about October 31st and some schools could do it. Uh, you know, places like Utah, I think USC could have pulled it off. But other places, there's just there's not enough time uh, to do that. And so it's going to start seven weeks uh, straight of football, uh, five division games, one crossover. And they haven't determined how that crossover will be, will be determined. And then the championship game, the weekend of December 18th, the championship game on the 18th. But there'll be other games on the 19th. So everyone will get that seventh game. And that most likely it'll be the Big Ten format of. The number two team from the north plays the number two team in the south, three team north, three team south, et cetera. So everyone gets that extra game. So sort of like a little mini championship weekend, but the main championship being obviously the, the top team from the north and the south. Yeah. And so several things on that, Ryan. The first thing is that in the official announce uh, that the Pac-12 had, the official announcement, they said that the Pac-12 university, universities with the necessary public health approvals may commence practice immediately. So it looked like they carved out some space for themselves so that the teams like the Washingtons and the Utahs can can hit the ground running. Whereas, as Mike Bone said in the, the press conference, there's going to need some time. <laughs> They're going to need some time to hammer out the details before they can actually start practicing. I believe he said the earliest would be early October for USC's full team to start practicing. So there's still things that need to be worked out within the conference itself, but I think they have acknowledged, at least on the practice front, that teams can start at different times. Yeah, and uh, that was a that was a big aspect of it, um, that they would be able to start right away. And I tried to get Mike Bone on the, and we'll get to, we'll talk about the Pac-12 first, but I did try to get Mike Bone to kind of talk about specifically what can you do, what can't you do? And he wasn't going into a whole lot of details, uh, he probably gave the shortest answers to anyone to me, um, <laughs> but uh, but I think he likes me. I don't know. But anyway, but you know, there's there's the issue of lifting weights inside, which has now been cleared. So that was yes. a county thing, right? Yes. And uh, so that's okay. So they can lift weights inside. So that's a good step. But right now they're still in their cohorts, and uh, and he talked about, you know, we don't need to, you know, to have the full team until we're like tackling and stuff, which isn't true. Like you want the whole team out there being able to do conditioning and things like that. You could start the, uh, you know, the 20 hour a week kind of stuff. Uh, and it's just really hard to do when you're doing in those smaller groups. So I, I feel like there's just some paperwork to go through. Uh, there's not going to be, it's not going to be a huge hurdle at this point. It's something they have to clear, but the process is happening. And uh, like you had reported before, they were doing some behind the scenes stuff. Uh, the letter certainly helped that. Mike Bone gave a lot of credit to the players about that letter to Gavin Newsom. It probably helped the entire conference. It certainly did. Uh, but I feel like that will be cleared at the state level and they'll be able to start their full practice. And if you're a USC fan, and you probably are, you're listening to this podcast, um, USC is a good spot here because they have been uh, working out. Players are on campus. Other schools, I think like a Stanford or UCLA and some of the other schools really are almost starting from scratch. And that's why they, you know, they push back a little bit on um, you know, when they could start just because they were they were following the guidelines maybe even more so where they just weren't even, you know, the, student, the athletes weren't even back yet. So being back and being able to work out in small groups at least gets you somewhat ready. And then having six weeks ramp up to the season, uh, I think it's going to uh, work out well. Yeah, and I think this is where you have to give credit to USC because they had been 
basically working out this whole time and being ready for if and when this would happen. You know, as you mentioned, USC started their first indoor workout on Friday, uh, last Friday, so they were able to get back into the gym, whereas we heard kind of around the conference, like especially at UCLA, they weren't exactly ready, despite the reports that came out after that the initial wave of reporting, that UCLA wasn't really ready to get going, um, based on the fact that the conference did say they wouldn't do any type of competition prior to January 1st, but look where we are now. So I think that's where you have to give credit to USC because they seem more ready than at least their crosstown uh, counterpart. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so let's, the the statement from the Pac-12, they made it clear the CEOs were unanimous. So like we said, there's no fans. Uh, so fans will not be allowed until at least January 1st. Um, and it's funny when they said in the sport of football, it's like, that's what people care about. You know, they're not talking about these other sports. Uh, <laughs> Pac-12 universities with the necessary public health approvals may Commence practice immediately with a seven-game conference-only season to begin November 6th and a Pac-12 championship on the 18th, enabling Pac-12 teams to be considered for selection by the college football playoff. Uh, and then they said the schedule will come out in the coming day. So we don't, they wouldn't answer really any specific questions about the schedule itself. Um, you know, there was there was a little bit, you know, you have the one crossover game, and then they said there'll be that extra game on, on the championship weekend. I, we assume they're going to do what the Big Ten does and have two versus th- two, three versus three, stuff like that. But they didn't really say that specifically. But I don't feel like – and they they kind of – I don't know if I'm going to say it's a lip service with the college football playoff. But there's no um, – Larry Scott made it clear there's no uh, minimum number of games to be uh, eligible. So you're playing football in the fall. You're eligible for the college football playoff. If USC goes 7-0 and and wins the Pac-12 title – you know, are they going to have a strong enough resume over like a eight and one or nine and one Georgia team that like loses to Alabama in the championship game, something like that? Um, so it, it's hard to say. Obviously, you don't think that's going to be the case. But Larry Scott brought up there's going to be, you know, it's a committee. You know, the committee made up a bunch of experts. They're going to take everything into consideration. So if you see like a dominant team from the Pac-12 and maybe like Alabama has to cancel a game or two or whatever it is, or Oklahoma does and um, he still seemed optimistic that they would be considered. I think a lot of things would have to go right for a Pac-12 team to make it into the college football playoff. But I think the, the main part is you're at least not getting left behind. You're at least playing at the same time when other people are playing, even though it's going to be later. Uh, and you will be eligible for that New Year's Six Bowl and that payout uh, as yeah. well. The, the playoff is there, but I, I just don't think it's a realistic goal for this year for the Pac-12 with the reputation not having those out-of-conference games, you know, it would have been great if Oregon could have showed what it could do against Ohio State. And they they beat or, they beat Ohio State to start the – and then they're going to be taken seriously. Those games are gone now. You're not changing the Pac-12 perception by not playing and then only playing seven games. So I have a hard time picturing a Pac-12 team making it in the college football playoff. But who knows? I mean, the way they're doing it, maybe starting slower, they get all seven games in in seven weeks. And the ACC has to cancel a bunch more games and they don't get as many games. And we don't know at this point, but uh, that's sort of my gut feeling going into it. Yeah. I mean, first off, I think you have to recognize that the eligibility portion, just being eligible for the college football playoff is really important from a financial standpoint, as you kind of mentioned, Ryan, because you 
you get that money. You get four million if you get that spot in the New Year's Six Bowl. But just being eligible, each uh, Power Five conference gets sixty-six million from the college football playoff annually. So that's a lot of money that you, that the conference, Pac-12 conference, would be missing out even if they didn't scrap together this season. But the thing about the seven-game season is that when you looked at the first schedule, or I guess it's the second schedule at this point that the Pac-12 came out with before they canceled, they had they put a lot of thought into okay, what if this team has to cancel? There's two by open weeks uh, for teams to kind of move things around this has no margin for error you have seven straight weeks of football and you're basically crossing your fingers hoping that nothing happens um so it'll be really interesting to see and it's one of those things that and and larry scott was asked this in the press conference is why were you kind of idle in between the testing announcement and between you know basically usc's players urging gavin newsom to return to football to renegotiate the deals about uh the cohorts and he kind of gave a very roundabout answer that didn't really say anything but i think this is again based on what i've heard in my reporting is that usc was the one coming to the table and saying hey why aren't we really negotiating this and i mean mike bone said it himself it was a pretty interesting comment he essentially said like why do you think that USC's letter moved the needle with Gavin Newsom and he said well when the governor is not having a direct conversation with the conference commissioner prior to that I think that's an indication so basically it looks from multiple sources that even Mike Bone publicly saying you know USC moved the needle behind the scenes and publicly to get the Pac-12 to really uh, flex their muscles if they have any uh, to get this going again you know because and my point that I'm trying to make here is that if the Pac-12 if Larry Scott had more of a leadership role in the conference maybe they have more time to fit in 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 this schedule maybe they don't have to go seven straight weeks without a bot you know The, the reason why we're on this timeline is because they didn't really force the issue as as maybe as hard as they could have earlier does that make sense Ryan? No, yeah, it, it does. And I like he was asked about that. And I, you know, I've gone back and forth with different sources on this. And uh, to me, there's really no difference between the Rams practicing in Los Angeles, uh, you know, and and USC practicing besides the daily testing. And uh, I know the state made a clarification, you know, they're saying it's one's amateur, one's uh, professional, but still the whole point is public safety. And is it safe for USC to gather in a big group and practice? Uh, they said, no, you have to be in smaller groups. Well, for the Rams, you can't, you know, you're allowed to do that. Um, and why is that? Well, they were testing themselves daily. I mean, that, to me, that's the main difference. And I think the state was pushing back on that, but having the daily testing, uh, if you look at the data shows, like it just, the numbers go down to almost nothing. Like if you're testing someone every day, you have a, you know, you're going to catch if they have the virus or not and stop it and pull them out of circulation. And when you have the daily testing, you don't need to do all the other stuff that's going on, like quarantine, which is more of a you know precautionary thing, like you're just pulling that person out, um, you know, and and knowing that hey they have it and that now they're not going to spread it anymore. You could have a more accurate test, uh, like the PCR test is more accurate. And for the Pac-12, they're actually going to do um, daily uh, antigen testing. So it's the it's not it's not going to be as stringent as far as like viral load. So. Uh, you need a little bit more of a viral load to, for that antigen test to, to click, to, to, to show a positive, than the PCR test will do. But the PCR test lo- takes longer, and it also, you're not going to do it as often. It's still much more accurate. Even though the PCR test is like what they say, like the gold standard, 
you look at all the data, it's much better to use this other test, you know, the antigen test daily because you're going to catch it quickly. You could go three days without having a PCR test, uh, but if you're doing the antigen test daily, it's it's better, even though the PCR test is going to find more of the, you know, if you have a smaller viral load, that will, you know, that will show a positive before the antigen test does. Now, like within hours or half a day, that antigen test will also show. It's like, it's basically just initially when you get, when you are exposed, your the viral load will start to grow. And early on in that process, the PCR test will show you as a positive where the antigen test won't. But you're not doing that PCR test every day. So all this kind of makes sense that like what if you're testing every day with these antigen tests, then you're going to know if these guys are positive or not. And you'll pull them out of they're not going to be out in the community spreading the virus. So that's why the Rams were allowed to practice. And that's why the Chargers are allowed to practice. But they weren't letting USC or UCLA do that. So that's what didn't make much sense to me. Once those daily testing things happen, and Larry Scott was saying, oh, there's other reasons and stuff. I mean, everyone was ready to go. To me, it just was about Larry Scott not necessarily wanting to, to push this through. And his dance partner, like we talked about before, the Big Ten, went ahead. So then they're like, they're forced to go ahead with this. He needed to be more proactive and get these kind of approvals and stuff ready. And if that was the case, then I think it would have been easier for the CEO group to vote yes. They, last week, they could have voted yes instead of waiting. Um, they would have had a lot of these local uh, you know, health issues cleared because the, you know, the state of Oregon and the state of California both said, hey, we hadn't heard from the, from the Pac-12. Like you said, Mike Bone said, you know, maybe Gavin Newsom wasn't taking Larry Scott's calls. I don't know. I, I have a hard time picturing he would uh, or even be calling him. And you could have started this process earlier, and maybe you would have got an eight or nine game schedule in. Now you're getting seven in, you're still going, but I feel like a lot of it was the inaction of the Pac-12. So I, I felt it was a disingenuous answer, Keely, from, from Larry Scott. Sorry, it was kind of a long way to go about that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think I said this on Tunnel Vision last week. If you're a fan of USC, I think you should be happy that USC was forcing the issue here. If you're a greater fan or overall fan of the Pac-12, you should be concerned that Larry Scott, I mean, you should be concerned, that should be just a sentence, you should be concerned about Larry Scott, but you should be concerned that Larry Scott wasn't forcing the issue and really pounding the table as to, hey, we have daily testing and you moved, You, I mean... I've explained before that there are differences between the colleges and the NFL teams and why California just didn't let the same thing happen for for NFL and college. But like you said, the daily testing alleviated a lot of those concerns that I believe Newsom and his office had about things. There's still the the thing about amateurism, and he said as much in his answer in that, that press conference. But the daily testing really changed things, and the fact that the Pac-12 wasn't already immediately on that is a little odd and, and definitely concerning if you're a fan of Pac-12 football. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, okay, so those are basically the, the points from the statement. Um, the the conference call, the Zoom call, they had Michael Schill, so he's the University of Oregon president, uh, and he's also the chair of the Pac-12 CEO group. Uh, Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner. Ray Anderson is the uh, AD at uh, Arizona State. And then Dr. Doug Ackerman, uh, so he's the Oregon State uh, Senior Associate Athletic Director, Sports Medicine, but he's also the chair of the Pac-12 Student Athlete Health and Wellbeing uh, Initiative. So he's a really important uh, person in all this as well. Um, the first thing that, that was interesting is when Dr. Schill said, 
it wasn't about the money. Like he wanted to make it clear it wasn't about the money. And that probably got the most Twitter reaction because the old what's the old saying is like, and I tweeted this, whenever someone says it's not about the money, it's about the money. And I, I don't have it, you know, any that's exactly what's going on here too. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, and, and Mike Bone said that money was never mentioned in these CEO group meetings, but I don't understand how that's possible considering that Utah furloughed its entire athletic department, including its athletic di- uh, athletic director. You know, money ha- is part of this. There's no way about it. And the fact that they said it that way just makes you raise an eyebrow. It's kind of like, come on, like, at least don't, like, say it straight to our face with a serious face, you know? Yeah. Um, hey, get this while we're... Uh... While we're recording this, the Mountain West, they're back. They're going to start October 24th, eight-game schedule, and a championship game on December 19th. So uh, two weeks before Pac-12. So crazy. I, I mean, I was talking to a source that was a little skeptical about that whole situation, and because apparently the Mountain West has not been talking to California officials as much as like the the USC's and Stanford's of the world. So I'm just curious how they're able to get it going faster. Maybe their coaches don't need as as big of a ramp up time as maybe the Pac-12 schools have said. I'm not sure, but interesting indeed. So, you know, when you see stuff that's breaking on uh, on Twitter, I, there was like Brett McMurphy and and he tweeted out that the uh, they voted for an eight game schedule. And like, I don't know, 30 seconds later, the Mountain West tweeted out themselves. We're back and tweeted it back. And like a minute later, Pete Thamel like tweets like sources. So like these guys were like just getting it and they were like, c- you know, constructing their tweets as the Mountain West announced it. So, like, they kind of beat all the reporters to the punch. That's a pretty point. Okay. It doesn't happen. I just saw the tweet, Ryan. It also says, subject to approval from state, county, and local officials. That seems like a big caveat right there. So, Uh, you know, I I like, like, if you feel confident that the Pac-12 can get, is pushing this through, uh, you know, you'll be able to do it too. And and who knows? Maybe they did more work behind the scenes that we haven't um, heard about before. But anyway, if Mountain West is back, it'll start two weeks before. (laughs) <laughs> back 12 so interesting uh so it wasn't about the money uh they, they duck Shaw also said they worked on the pros and cons uh and they said you know what are the pros and cons of starting in the fall versus the winter and there was more pros for the fall and i think that made sense but a lot of it was we're going to play by ourselves versus we're going to play with everybody else um the, he also said that uh they didn't vote last week the ceos didn't vote last week because they wanted to talk to students and faculty um and I thought, you know, I think Ray Anderson brought this up. Uh, you know, there, everyone talks about the focus on health and safety of the student athletes, but he also brought up the mental health aspect. And they didn't go into it more about, you know, not playing, but there really was uh, some, I think Mike Bone mentioned it, like, you know, part of the push is like from the players, you know, to be able to watch the sport that they love and they've been, you know, playing their whole life on TV and not participate. Uh, I think they did have, uh, you know, negative aspect on on their mental health. And it was one of those things where you could argue safer or not uh, to play. And, you know, being tested every day, I think you're going to be safer than if you're just out in society. I'd rather be a student athlete getting tested every day and in this kind of mini bubble thing. I think if I'm worried about catching COVID, I think I'm better off doing that. But also the mental health aspect of it, of not playing, if they were the only league not to play, uh, he didn't go into the specifics of that, but I, that's kind of where I felt he was leaning towards on that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of tuned into Fox Sports had a roundtable with King Slovis and Amon Ross St. Brown, and he Amon Ross St. Brown was asked, what is it like sitting on your couch on Saturdays 
watching your fellow like college football players play and he just sounded really down about it and I can only imagine you know he said like I've never in my life had this much time off of college football and you know Alvin Ross St. Brown and his family they're training all the time you know I can only imagine the mental uh health aspect that you know I mean it's affecting us Ryan like we cover football and we're sad that we're not covering it and let alone these guys are training for it they're very invested in it of course and so I can only imagine how hard it would have been to sit out a whole season in that sense yeah uh one of the other aspects was um the uh cardio like what's it cardiomyocarditis (laughs) myocarditis Myocarditis, yeah i was like but it's also cardiomyopathy i believe like that's the whatever but um the myocarditis uh dr doug ackerman said uh because of the pac-12's robust testing he feels that that's something uh that we can help manage so I feel like there was a real, you know, concern with that. But if you know about it, you can do these, uh, you know, cardio screenings and anyone that tests positive, you're going to be screened for that. And, you know, if, if there is an issue, uh, you know, a cardio issue, some kind of uh, heart element, then you can take that, you know, that, that player probably would be out for the rest of the year or whatever, especially with the shortened season. But I think just knowing about it, there was so much uncertainty then. I think people seem to have a better idea about it now. And with the rapid testing, uh, you know, Dr. Doug Ackerman was was pretty comfortable that it would be safe to play. Yeah, it seems like an interesting 180 in that sense a little bit because the concerns they had sounded so intense originally when they canceled. But if you remember from that press conference, they said hopefully if we play by January, we have the ability to test daily and we have a better sense of myocarditis. And now they're presenting to us that they have a better sense of myocarditis and we obviously know that they can test daily now. So, I mean, it's interesting just to see how they've changed on that. I think the cardiology clearances that they do uh, prior to a a player returning after they test positive for COVID-19 is very important in that sense. And I think that's kind of the guardrails that they've set up, but I will say it's interesting seeing how they've kind of not flip-flopped. I feel like that's a little too intense of a phrase, but it seems like they've definitely changed their minds on how how concerning that is. Yeah, uh, there's some, I think there's some flip-flopping. I think that's fair. Sure. Um, there's also a lot of questions about the playoff, and we mentioned this a little bit before. Uh, Larry Scott said, you know, there's no minimum games. The committee's job is to pick the best four teams. There's going to be more intricacies this year because – what if play, you know, if Trevor Lawrence is out for a couple of games and Clemson loses, do you do you ding them? You know, uh, games could be canceled. So he's keeping, you know, he's keeping an open mind on that. I don't think it's really going to impact things. But he was pressed a couple of times about expanding the college football playoff. And he said there's no serious momentum or discussion on expansion. And, uh, you know, this was talked about on the Mike Bone Zoom call. Uh, I think uh, Adam, uh, you know, Adam, uh, Andy Staples, like really pressed him on it, saying, like, basically, dude, you should be pushing for this more than anybody because the Pac-12 has been out the last three college football playoffs and you're only playing six, seven games. And he was just, you know, he's on that committee too. So he was uh, just kind of toeing the company line and just like, well, there'd be too much, a little too crazy to do that this year. But it's like, I feel it's the opposite. Like this is the perfect year to expand it for a year. Give, you know, you can create a little bit more revenue. Um, you know, you would allow people to come in and who knows, like a, a 7-0 Oregon team or USC team or Utah team or whatever, um, they probably don't get in, but maybe they are really good. You know, maybe, I know there's been a lot of losses in the conference, but we, you don't know. They get to play like an Oklahoma or something in the first round, and and who knows what happens. So, yeah, I feel like he was not, you know, pushing that uh, narrative, but I felt that was one he should have, and I, I was glad that Andy Staples kind of pressed him on it. I mean, 
just as a side note, I thought it was really interesting. This press conference, and it was on the Pac-12 Network, so I don't know if anyone listening caught it, but a lot of the reporters were asking sharp questions. And usually these type of press conferences are a little bit more happier because it's a good news, quote-unquote, type of press conference. But there were some tough questions to Larry and company, didn't you think, Ryan? I did. I was hoping someone was going to bring up the uh, $2.5 million bonus yeah, and stuff. But yeah. It was weird. Like, you see the, the Zoom call. I think there was five or six people on it at first. And you're like, is that all the people that are left there? Um, it's just not, I mean, <laughs> oh, he, yeah, we, we don't need to get into that. I, you, I'm going to do another podcast uh, for the podcast of champions. We'll get into some more of that stuff there. But um, but as far know. as the, the college football playoff, Ryan, you're right. I mean, that this is the year if you're going to try and break the norms and see if things will work, this would be the year to do it. And Larry Scott is in a perfect position to push the envelope and, and push the committee to do that. But it's just so odd that he's just taking a back seat rather than pushing forward you know yeah one of the concerning aspects of this and to be fair i think there's been like 45 like you know uh fbs games played and like 20 of them have been and you know 40 something played and like 20 have been postponed or canceled um and you know michael shill the president of oregon said uh if this is not sustainable we will stop playing um and so it's he mentioned that a couple of times where basically like, look, if stuff goes south and uh, we can't do it, we'll just stop. And it just seemed like that was not like I don't think you'd hear anyone in the SEC say something like, yeah, if we got too many positive tests, we're just going to stop. Like they're going to go forward, <laughs> matter what. But the Pac-12 was sort of putting that out there like we could stop this. I mean, so, you know, that I don't think it's a warning to to fans or I mean, to uh, like the players or anything like, hey, make sure you keep everyone safe. But. It seemed like more of a warning to fans, like, don't don't count on us finishing the season if if things start to go south. I mean, it's interesting. I believe the Big Ten was the one who came up with the 53 roster. As long as you have 53 players, you can still play a game. But if there's more out, then you can't. So there are some, like, guidelines in place, I think, around other conferences. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious what sustainable means and his, his – or his definition of sustainable because yeah. – We've seen position groups out. We've seen uh, large chunks of people test positive. And so is sustainable meaning one game? Is it the whole season? Like, what does that mean? And I felt like it was a door that was opened very quickly and then shut. And it's like it has I feel like it has large ramifications as to that the entire like will the Pac-12 be able to play the entirety of the season? I don't know. But I'm wondering if there are specific numbers in mind as to teams testing positive or players on a certain team. You know, I don't, I don't know what they're, what they mean by that. And I'm very curious about it. I am too. I mean, they didn't say, he, he said like, basically like shut down the season a couple of times and then was like, or pause like later on. Um, so sort of like, but stop playing. It's pretty, you know, I think he just was making it clear. Like we're not going to put these student athletes in danger. If, yeah. if thing, things go South, they're going to go forward and uh, just stop things or pause or whatever they got to do. Um, he was also asked, uh, Larry Scott was asked kind of specifically about which schools couldn't practice right now. And he wasn't going into specifics. He didn't say which schools by name. Um, he just said that, you know, every program would need to get cleared by, you know, their own local and state officials. And uh, even when we talked to Mike Bowen about, we'll get to that in a minute, you know, there wasn't going to, they weren't giving a whole lot of specifics uh, on that kind of stuff. But there, you know, there's schools we know, like with Colorado and all the California schools and and the Oregon schools had some issues, and which was weird because Colorado was one of the ones that could have practiced right away. And then the city of Boulder earlier today kind of puts that ordinance out there like, whoa, 
So, uh, they're, they're, I mean, who knows? Like, you could see, uh, you know, like this Tempe could come up with something or the state of Arizona could, come, you know, we don't know yet, but uh, it's going to be a dynamic process <laughs> throughout uh, all of this. Yeah. I mean, I, from reporting that we've seen, apparently Colorado was the one who was was most interested in getting back as soon as possible. And then the day of the CEO meeting, <laughs> Boulder comes up with this new guidance. It's just, I feel like this is a, a weird sitcom and not real life. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, there's going to be, that could have been too, that, you know, it's obviously it's a very, you know, liberal area and maybe they didn't like the idea of it, even though like maybe the college wanted, you know, obviously wanted to go through with it. We know Utah was ready, like they're ready tomorrow if they wanted to play. Um, so, yeah, that sort of put a damper on, like the two mountain schools seem to be like the ones that were ready to go the most. And, uh, you know, Boulder kind of put, put, just kind of dumped some water on that fire there. So we'll see. I don't know uh, what happens there. I talked to a uh, source at Colorado and I mean, if it, if it comes to it, the Colorado football team could like leave the, you know, county of Boulder and uh, go play somewhere else or practice somewhere else for the first two weeks instead of sitting around on their hands. So we'll we'll see what happens uh, there. I think that did contribute, though, to uh, the November, you know, 6th, 7th date as opposed to a Halloween. Uh, and they, you know, yeah. they wanted to have a unified front. And Mike Bowen talked about that, too. The uh, the television partners and the schedules, Larry Scott was asked about, hey, could you do like a 9 a.m. kickoff because there's not going to be any fans. And he said he was open to most anything on the schedules. They were working with TV partners, thought there were some exciting, you know, opportunities and all that stuff. So who knows? But I think what everyone wants, and if if you read the the Twitterverse on on over the weekend, it's they miss Pac-12 after dark. So <laughs> there's still going to be some night games, uh, but maybe they have some early games too. You know, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, he said that there, I think he said something about like there's a surprise or something. And with Larry Scott, I'm a little concerned about that. I think Shotgun made that dig, but I'm repeating it for the pod. Yeah, uh, we'll see about that. So they're going to work with the TV partners. It's it's a scramble mode. He said they were very patient about it. And, you know, they want this inventory. I know Fox had a lot of Pac-12, you know, Big Ten games. And, you know, now they're getting them back. So they're, you know, ESPN had a lot of the other games. So they they're doing better. And I know ratings are down, but I think with everyone playing, it might help help things. Losing all those early out-of-conference games that are exciting uh, kind of hurts. But, when, you know, the SEC gets rolling this weekend. I think we'll kind of get some college football momentum going. Um, they, they didn't get a lot of specifics on the schedule, like I said, but for the seventh game, it will be that Pac-12 championship weekend. And uh, Ray Anderson, the AD from Arizona State, said it should help with college football playoff consideration, plus a lot of bowl consideration. And it should be noted that the bowls uh, will not be. Um, there's no minimum to, for bowl eligibility. The NCAA announced, and they said bowls could start December 1st, which, you know, for everyone, there's still going to be like two or three weeks of the regular season left. So I don't know why you'd want to have a bowl then, but everyone's yes. going to be bowl eligible. So you know, if you're playing, you're USC or whatever. Let's say USC. Say like, uh, you know, Arizona goes three and four. They could still make a bowl game, you know, and there's there's a lot of bowl games. There weren't going to be enough. Uh, now, I think 115 of the 130 teams will actually be playing. Um, but, you know, if you're only playing a seven game schedule, it's going to be hard to get six games, six wins, obviously. So yeah. Yeah. Anyone's going to be bowl eligible now. And, and that extra game will help with that. It'll be interesting. The bowl season will be max chaos, I feel like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our friend over at Rain of Troy, uh, Michael Castillo, you know, we know we've know we love him, but he just has horrible, horrible ideas all the time. Right? <laughs> just, just terrible, bad takes, terrible thing. Food takes. Uh, we love you, Michael. Takes. But he had a good one today about 
how do you, and I, I wanted to ask Mike Bone about this. Someone else ended up asking me. He wasn't going to answer it. How do you determine the crossover game? Because there's five division games that you play, and then you play one crossover game. We did get clarification that that crossover game uh, would count towards uh, the college football, uh, I mean, towards winning your division. So uh, that would, you know, people thought that maybe only your division games would count because what if you're, say, USC plays their division games and have to play Oregon, where like Utah or Arizona State, they play like Oregon State. Well, that game could be the difference, you know, and you have a tougher crossover game, but they're going to count it. Um, so Michael's idea was to like, basically you play your crossovers like reverse seed. So if you were the number one team in the North, you play the number six team from the South and vice versa. And I like that idea. You saw what the SEC did when they come out, they had to come, they come up with two extra uh, SEC games. They weren't going to give Alabama like, oh, let's give them Florida. No, they gave them, I think it was like Kentucky and Vanderbilt or something like that. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Georgia. They didn't get, they got the easier of the crossover games trying to protect their brand names. And I think that's the way to do it, where it's like, hey, Oregon finished first, Utah finished first. You get to play what the, was the worst team in the other division. I think that's a great idea. No one gave any specifics on that. Mike Bowen wouldn't give any specifics, but hopefully they do something like that. It would be silly to take a potential South winner and a potential North winner and have them play each other and get that extra loss. You're just really, uh, you don't want USC and Oregon, they were supposed to play. You don't want them to play in the regular season because they're going to be the favorites in each division. And that would, you know, but that's what the Pac-12 can do because it's the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, the whole mantra for the Pac-12 is it just eats itself. I mean, what was it, ASU uh, defeating Oregon last season and took Oregon out of the conversation? I mean, the smart thing would be for to set your teams up to win with your scheduling, but the Pac-12 doesn't really seem to do that as much. But from a USC perspective... If you look at the history, USC really hasn't had a problem with its with the South Division. It's had problems with Utah, specifically at Utah, but this could be a good thing for USC considering that the South has never really been an issue for them. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, if you don't have as long as you don't have to play Oregon, um, you know, it makes sense. Like maybe you play Stanford, maybe you play Cal, one of your uh, Robs. I think Cal's going to be pretty good this year, but I would just say. Anyone outside of Oregon would make sense. Like, don't don't have yep. USC play Oregon. Don't have the two favorites play each other. Yep. Everything else, I mean, you can kind of play around with and stuff. Um, yeah. So, and like we said, the crossover game is going to count. And then uh, Larry Scott was also asked about the uh, Halloween games, if there was a possibility of that. He said we're committed to making sure that we had a full six weeks of ramp up uh, before the first game. So that's why it ended up being the the following weekend. And I, you know, well, I think. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, Ryan. I just was going to say, he also said that he didn't. they didn't want competitive imbalance. That's the phrase he used. Because if you have teams start, if you have a seven-game schedule and you have teams start one week earlier, certain teams will get a bye week. And so he didn't want that. The, the conference didn't want teams to have an inherent advantage. So instead of rewarding teams for being ready to go, instead they'll be, uh, everyone will start on that same November 1st weekend. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that was kind of my main notes from the Pac-12 webinar. We can go to Mike Bone. Did you have anything else? Um, no, I, I don't know your notes, so I, I was trying to follow along. But yeah, I think that's pretty much it from the the conference side of things. Uh, all right. Well, then we got to talk to Mike Bone like right after that, like within five minutes. <laughs> it was a uh, whirlwind. It was, uh, yeah. Um, I was eating, trying to eat some dinner in between, so I like turned my 
camera off on the Zoom call before. <laughs> uh, well, before we do that, why don't we, let's do this. Um, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come right back and we'll talk about uh, what happened with Mike Bowen. So back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, emergency edition of the Peristyle Podcast. And uh, we're not going to do any questions and stuff today. Um, we're going to kind of keep talking about what the, the news of the day was. And, uh, you know, we talked about the, the Pac-12 webinar and some of the, you know, just general stuff. And we're going to get into the Mike Bone meeting as, as well. And uh, Keely, you know, Mike Bone's been... I think he's been really good uh, with the media. Certainly, I mean, we've talked to him more than we ever talked to <laughs> Lynn Swan in his entire career there. Yeah. Uh, he was really excited. He was excited to play football. He's just an optimistic guy. Yeah. And from the, he gave his little like opening statement. And what you got was he was just excited to play some football. Yeah, I mean, he's just, <laughs> you can just tell he's that, that nice type of, uh, is he from the Midwest, Ryan? Is that the right origin? Uh, well, he, what he play? We was at Cincinnati. I forget where he's from exactly, but yeah, uh, that's that's my bad. But he, he just he has just such a nice uh, nature to him. So he, he the thing that stood out to me besides maybe the Larry Scott portion was that he really credited USC's players for not only sticking to you know the strict protocols that USC had put in place to keep them safe, but also kind of forcing the issue and, and writing that letter to Gavin Newsom uh, and really starting things off and getting the ball rolling in that sense. Of course, there were things happening prior to that letter but that's the public move that the Pac-12 really needed yeah and he was he was born in Illinois but he moved to Colorado and then he, okay that's where he, he grew up in Colorado so he played at Boulder High School and then he went to Kansas um so and was a quarterback for the Jayhawks team so yeah I, I mean born in the, the Midwest and sort of more of a mountain guy <laughs> okay okay after that so um but yeah I like that he was excited uh he thanked you know the medical community for their help and opening a path to play football uh, he, you know, expressed that it was really important to be like nimble and agile in this whole thing, and uh, as always, keeping the health and safety of the student athletes a top priority. And that that flexibility is important. And you know, one of the problems with starting as late as the Pac-12 is, and the same thing with the Big Ten, is you don't have any kind of room for error. And they're hoping to mitigate that by having the daily testing. Um, they hope that they don't have any kind of postponements like we've seen in some of the other leagues, but you got seven to play seven. Like there's no, you know, there's no opportunity to uh, miss anything. So they need that daily testing to work uh, as as advertised. So 
you're not going to have these things where, whoa, uh, Oregon State's not going to be able to play. Oh, wait, you uh, you can't play the, the Civil War. You can't, uh, oh, man, Oregon's losing a game and they're undefeated. Like th- That would be a disaster for the Pac-12. So they're going to need that daily testing to really work. Yeah, and that's why it's so crucial to them moving forward is because you have some sense of uniformity as far as testing. You're not having like a a Notre Dame going to USF and then accidentally getting their players uh, uh, testing positive. You know, you have the same type of standard so that you know where you're at each day with those those positivity rates. Um, And Bone did say that they have the the testing systems on campus right now. So they're trying to get uh, educated on the system and get that going so that they can really start ramping things up soon yeah and those uh once they get those working and everyone trained on them they can do he said 30 to 50 tests per hour so it's not like you could test the entire football team in the morning but you know if you're going to do like offensive you know position meetings at first you could have all the offensive players come in and get tested and you know and then in the next hour you get all the defensive players tested so i think they can do it uh you know in an efficient way uh, they just have to get everyone up to speed. But by the time they're going to practice and everything, I think this is going to, you know, the timing is going to work out. They don't need it today. Uh, I mean, it's nice to have it earlier, but um, they should have it like, you know, probably the next week or so. It sounds like that's what it's going to work. Um, also, he gave a lot of props uh, to the USC student athletes, the football players. Yeah. That, uh, he said they seized the moment, um, that they were educated, measured and informed, and they represented USC with dignity and class when they wrote that letter to Gavin Newsom. Yeah, I mean, it was a really well-written letter. Um, Of course, I think it was part of the bigger strategy that USC had in mind. Of course, I I don't doubt that the students uh, didn't, the players didn't want to play and didn't write that letter, but I just think it was part of this whole behind the public and private push to get things going. And so uh, the fact that Mike Bone was crediting uh, the players was, I thought it was great to see just a, a, a athletic director really highlight the work of, of players. Whereas we wouldn't really see that. I don't think we would have seen that from, from Lynn Swan, but I, I thought, it was interesting his response because he said, you know, I think it's self-evident what the students did. And he was asked a follow-up, well, why do you think it is? And I know I already said this, but I think it's worth mentioning because he basically said, they're the ones that got Gavin Newsom to talk to Larry Scott. You know, (laughs) that's a big deal, you know? And so it's, it's a credit to USC's athletic department and USC's players that they were the ones really forcing the issue. And I know I've said this a lot, but you know, the, the knock that USC fans have had about USC and their athletic department as of late, the last couple of years, is that they had really fallen low in the ranks of the conference and the national conversation where they're not driving what needs to be done. And so this is a good sign if you're one of those people that USC is trying to get back to that place uh, and that status in the conference and in the national conversation. And I think this shows kind of the power of social media and the pl- the fact that players actually have a voice now where 15 years ago, if they wrote a letter to Gavin Newsom, like no one's going to care. You know, if you're, you know, we're like, I got a lot of followers on Twitter um, and you know, that helps sometimes, but like say I have a bad experience on like United Airlines or something. I can tweet, Hey, United Airlines, why'd you cancel my flight or whatever like that. And then there's some social media guy going, Oh crap. Some verified guy is, is complaining about us. And they like, we need to figure out what's going on here. And they might, you know, push it up to customer service and like, hey, can you fi- fi- figure out what's going on here? And I think it's the same sort of thing. Like Gavin Newsom's like PR team is like, hey, dude, these football players are like, 
you know, calling out us saying that we're stopping playing football. All these reporters are retweeting it and talking about it. Everyone's saying that you're like stopping football. We can't have this happen. Like the, you know, we had an election coming up, um, not for him, but you know, just in general. And so then they're sort of like put them in scramble mode. And he's like, no, no. And his reaction was, was terrible. Like they didn't, they did that. Their office didn't handle that well. Uh, yeah. But in the end, it's, I think it, it did what needed, you know, it needed to happen. Um, but it certainly was a catalyst uh, to all of that. And I think it allowed the adults, you know, at USC uh, in the Pac-12, it opened things up to them where when the players had this just, you know, like like Mike Bowen said, educated and measured response, uh, you know, to Gavin Newsom, it sounded like they knew what they were talking about. And then when the adults kind of back that up, they're not like pushing players into like uh, a dangerous situation. They're following along and helping them out. So I feel like it was a, a planned strategy and it worked well but because the players did it you know did such a good job of that uh it it definitely greased the wheels and they were the they were the squeaky wheel and that you know you, they wanted to get attention and they got that gavin newsom's attention by doing that yeah and and like you said ryan it gave gavin newsom some cover when you have the players saying that they want to play versus maybe the state being like hey you guys can play amateurs you know but and i think it's evident in what uh as far as you know, the, the We Are United movement came out around the time that U.S. the state of California was going to hand down guidance for higher education, meaning the colleges and, and the athletic programs. What can you do? And I had a source kind of suggest that maybe California was more conservative of what college athletes could do based on the fact that the We Are United movement expressed concern with safety protocols and whatnot. So uh, the fact that if you look at Naman Ra was the first one who tweeted it, but he said in the letter, the players did, uh, though it may, it may have been misconstrued, the Pac-12 players We Are United movement did not reflect any desire to not play this fall. Instead, we simply wanted to ensure that health and safety would be at the forefront of our conference's planning. And I know I'm, I'm rambling right now, but Basically, through this letter, they were able to give politicians cover that, you know, we had this social media movement with We Are United, but we feel better about it. Please let us play. You know, you have a public thing that will let these politicians have some wiggle room in that sense. Yeah, and I, I felt like that was, they kind of pushed that We Are United movement a little too quickly, and they, I think they bit off a little more than they could chew. And I think it sort of hurt things because a lot of people took it as, these guys don't want to play. We we should we shouldn't force. And I think that in the political world, maybe not in the football world, you kind of understood things. But we've already seen in the political world they didn't understand stuff. And they and I think a lot of the politicians are like, well, we can't let these players play. They they're worried about their safety. And yeah. And they had to make it clear that that wasn't the case. But we obviously know that they don't quite understand football when they think it's safer <laughs> to to practice with twelve people. Like, we'll, we'll keep those players safe. Just practice with twelve people. Play five on five was the one suggestion from Gavin Newsom's office. Virtual like, reality, you... Ryan. Just just play with virtual reality. Yeah. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I think that movement, the way they they kind of pushed it fat, you know, a little too quickly, didn't really help the cause. But you know, it's come back around, and I think they've made it clear. Yeah. Uh, since then, it, it was good when they you know joined up with the We Want to Play movement and all that, and uh, made it a little a little better. But um, okay, so there's also he also thanked. Uh, you know, UCLA working closely with them because they obviously have a common, I guess you could say common opponent in the, the county of Los Angeles and the, the, you know, the state of California. So uh, he was really thankful that he got to work with uh, UCLA that closely. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> I had nothing to add to that, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Marvin Jarman, like, you know, this, 
he's worked with the athletic director over at UC, you know, the new athletic director at UCLA before, so that was helpful. Um, so the, you know, about the state and county guidelines, they have to inform the NCAA that they're going to play, and then they can build their calendar, like their practice calendar. So mm-hmm. uh, they can do their 20-hour-a-week work until the training camp will start, and that'll be probably a three or four weeks out from, you know, so really, uh, you know, a couple of weeks from now. So they would like to get as much of that 20-hour work week stuff going now as possible, but they're still developing that calendar, according to Mike Bone. Uh, he doesn't think they'll practice on the field as a team until early October. Um, and, you know, that would be, a, you know, kind of a, you know, a four-week, you know, build up until, um, you know, the, the season, which makes sense. But you'd like to be able to get some of that full team conditioning stuff, all the normal, like, pre-camp things that you would do. And they can't really do that now. They can work out inside as far as weights go, which is an improvement over a couple weeks ago. But the the cohort numbers are still not there. So like we said before, I feel like that's going to be fixed. And once that is, they can do more of the normal kind of uh, practicing stuff, not tackling and, and full contact stuff, which I asked Mike Bone about. And he was kind of going right to that. But if you see like the pre-camp stuff, it could be, no, you know, just T-shirts and no helmets or anything, but they're all out there as a team doing conditioning drills, doing agility drills, doing walkthrough kind of things. They can't do any of that right now unless they're in their their 12-person cohort thing. So uh, I feel like that's a a big step. Hopefully they can get that clear within the next couple of days and they'll be able to proceed with the 20-hour workweek stuff. Yeah, I will say, though, I was I was a little surprised to see that Wilner reported that the cohorts had kind of been all had been figured out today because I was talking to a source kind of consistently throughout all of last week and this week. And basically the source kept saying cohorts are still an issue. Cohorts are still an issue. Like they're not fixed. And the, it didn't seem like the state really understood what needed to be done. So the fact I, I, it's, you get, there's some, a lot of things have happened today, so we'll get a better sense pretty soon here. But so far, I'm not sure how that got figured out. But I don't want to give it the all clear, just in the sense that it has been such a issue and a point of contention between the universities and the state and how they just don't really get it, that I'm curious to see if this might be an issue that drags on a little bit longer than we anticipate. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Uh, it sounded like from the source I talked to that was really more about you know, it, it's just, it's semantics. I mean, there's paperwork and stuff that needs to be done. It didn't seem like it was something that was going to, you know, they still have to fight this battle. And maybe that's what Wilner's reporting, that it's, it's cleared, you know, it should be cleared now, but they have to put, you know, there's like this formal process that has to happen. So we'll see. Uh, he said it was still a work, I mean, he basically just said the state and county officials are still a work in progress. That was kind of Mike Bone's official statement on that. But, um, you know, I, I don't anticipate that being a, a big roadblock at this point. I don't think that the presidents would have all voted unanimously to go forward with it when you have four California schools, if they didn't feel like this was going to be cleared up fairly soon. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just, I always leave that window room or the wiggle room for uh, government to be difficult, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there was also the potential to have media practice. Uh, you know, Tim Teslone, the sports information director was on there. He said campus is closed to all visitors right now, so you can, no one can go to campus. Uh, but they're looking into it. They would have to get some kind of exception. They want and and Mike Bone made it clear he wants to be friendly to the media. He wants to be user friendly. He doesn't want to be have this adversarial relationship. Um, he told everyone he felt that reporting has been fair throughout this 
process. Um, so we might be able to watch some practices, Keely. That would be interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, someone suggested going up on Dado Field, which I wanted to do pandemic or no pandemic to watch practice because it's such a better view. So I'm hoping, I mean, I think Bone sounded much more optimistic than Tim Pesalone did. So it'll be interesting to see what it means for us as far as media. But I cannot tell you how much I'm dying to be on Howard Jones Field. So if there's any opportunity that we could be near it, I will take it. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think this administration there, you know, they they know the relationship with the media can be important. So I think they're going to try to work with us however they can. I mean, they got to do it in a safe way, obviously. And uh, they got bigger fish to fry, but it sounds like that will be an opportunity. So everyone listen to the podcast, we might be able to give you some more informed information about the team going forward if we get to watch some of these, uh, some practices. Now, I think he was asked about what the Rams do and they do have uh, some access you can watch. We've seen reporters out at practice and stuff. They're mostly like Zoom meetings afterwards. I think uh, Lindsay Theory uh, tweeted <laughs> something where like today, like the Zoom didn't work. So they were trying to interview like Jared Goff and instead Through of doing window. Zoom, he was like out a window. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they were putting in their like in and out orders for Jared Goff because he looked like he was a fast food worker through the window, which was funny. So you got to be flexible. Uh, yeah, it sounds like they will be. And he was actually going right into a football meeting uh, right after our Zoom call. So it's about a 50, 55 minute Pac-12 Zoom call followed by like a 50 minute or so uh, USC Mike Bone Zoom call. So a lot of a lot of Zoom calls today. Yeah, it was a lot of information. I think the biggest thing is that. The Pac-12 has the green light. They're coming back. It's They have a small margin for error, seven for seven. Um, but we're going to see football. It's going to be interesting. I think just seeing the, the division plus one crossover, I think that'll be an interesting little predicament in a short season. How do you game plan for that? Is it easier to, to be more focused in a shorter season? There's a lot of interesting variables, a lot of things happening. But football is back, and, and I'm excited. I'm excited too. Um, we did have a couple of questions. I'm not going to go through them because some of them are out of date. Like Steve wrote in, he said we should thank Nebraska uh, if this you know, if it ends up happening. And Nebraska did. They were the squeaky wheel in the Big Ten. They were one of them, and they pushed things through. I think it was more important that Ohio State wanted to have a season and push it through. But Nebraska got um, <laughs> their reward for helping you know uh, Big Ten football come back was playing Ohio State and Penn State uh, as their crossover game. So that, that was nice of them. They had they had three before. They had Ohio State, Penn State, and Rutgers. And uh, they got Rutgers got dropped. They just get to play Ohio State and Penn State, and they start with Ohio State on the road. So that, I, we'll see. I don't think there was any squeaky wheels in the Pac-12, so no one's going to get, like, quote-unquote schedule punished. But the, uh, the Huskers definitely did. It's interesting. It And you could see this on some of the Twitter reports, too, as well. I felt like the Pac-12... After the first meeting last Friday and then between this meeting on Thursday, there was a, a kind of a motto to not be like the Big Ten and just put a lid on everything. We didn't see a lot of leaks from people I talked to. There was not a lot of information coming out of, of, of things. So it was interesting. I feel like the Pac-12 was cognizant of the, the Big Ten's kind of appearance through the last couple of months and they didn't want to be like them at all. Yeah, and I, I think there was I think there was a more united front. The only yeah. when things started to crack was when the Big Ten was going for it. Because once they once the Big Ten and the Pac-12 together, everyone felt pretty comfortable. And the problem was they weren't nimble enough. Once the Big Ten was going forward, they sort of just kind of sat on their lower, like ah, 
let's just wait and see this out. Maybe the Big Ten won't do it instead of like, well, we better prepare if the Big Ten goes forward. And they didn't prepare. So that's why they're sort of like, uh, you know, left holding the bag. And they're like, they got to figure things out later. So I, I, I think Larry Scott actually did a pretty good job early on. But it was that was the easier decision to not play, to be honest, because it was just like it, it just made sense. The harder decision was figuring out a way to play and convincing all the presidents. And they weren't able to do it last week, so they were able to do it this week. Uh, that was the harder one. And, you know, I think it was the right one, too. Well, the problem is that, and I think people keep getting this confused, is that, like, yes, the Big Ten had some influence on the Pac-12 coming back, but it really was down to the local and state guidelines. And until that really got traction, there wasn't... Uh, there wasn't really a reason to convene, have the CEO group convene and have a, a, a meeting on whether or not to come back. Because if half of your conference can't play due to due to like government regulations, then why are we even talking? You know. So it, whereas the Big Ten, they decided to do that on their own fruition. Like they wanted to do that based on you know Kevin Warren and, and that grouping. So it's different. I don't think they're as tied together as maybe you suggested, Ryan. But still, yeah. you know. And uh, Stephen Carmel Valley just wanted to give kudos to Amon Ross St. Brown and the players. And it's true because they lobbied the governor and, and we heard Mike Bone give that praise. He was kind of crushing the lack of leadership from from everyone else. I would I would say there was a lack of leadership from the conference that Larry Scott needed to be doing more as soon as that. He was just saying, like, we have rapid testing. That's going to be great and didn't do anything with it. Yeah. Um, I feel like Mike Bone and you know USC, their, their hands were a little bit tied until the players made that move. If they come out and say, hey, we want to play, it could be certainly looked at as an insensitive thing. And, you know, you could argue, was that the right strategy or not? But like Keely reported and talked about, that was USC's strategy was sort of like it was going to be more of a player led thing with work going on behind the scenes. So I think you could be more critical of Larry Scott in this one, not as much. You know, I think USC did what they had to do. Their their hands were tied for a lot of it. Um, it would have been helped. You know, the Pac-12 could have been helpful pushing things through with. Uh, the governments for Oregon and California. They weren't doing that. So we're sort of up to USC to figure it out. And without that, without that strategy, without the players, you know, doing that letter and the work behind the scenes, you know, you probably don't even have a season like we have right now. Which is just crazy because you'd want your conference to fight for the the teams to play. One like and the thing is is this is all with the understanding that they believe it's safe to play. And so once they thought it was safe to play, why isn't Larry Scott I mean we've talked about this, but why isn't Larry Scott pounding the table and coming back to it and that's where i think it was steve who had that question ryan i i don't i don't think it's a little bit of a a misread because mike bone and company were working behind the scenes but i think they wanted to go basically the opposite of the ryan day approach and have the students be the ones who are are voicing their opinions rather than uh, having the adults kind of look like they're complaining publicly (laughs) you know yeah all right well uh, that's kind of all the newsy stuff we had today. Did you have anything else you wanted to like throw in there, Keely? Um, no, I'm trying to go through my Twitter feed to make sure we didn't miss anything. It was a big day, a lot of stuff happening. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think Elijah Vera Tucker has hired an agent yet. So that could be something to watch for now that the season is actually officially happening. Could you see some guys return? Uh, stay tuned. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. Uh, there's, you know, certainly some possibilities there with uh, Elijah Vera Tucker and uh, Jay Tefeli. So um, we'll see. Uh, or there could be more opt-outs. I, I mean, we don't know. We, we don't know what's going on here. But we should know 
in the next few days, um, the next week or so, what the schedule is going to be. Uh, you know, you know the five games. You know it's going to be all the South teams. Who's that crossover game? And then where you determine where you finish over those six games will determine who you play uh, in the seventh. Is it the championship game or is it just a you know the extra game uh, round robiny or whatever? Like you know, it's like the the Pac-12 North South Challenge kind of thing. So um, you know, where will they be? So uh, I, that's a neat aspect of it. I like what the Big Ten did with that schedule. Um, and you know, we haven't we don't know for sure that's what you like the Pac-12 is going to do, but that's what we've. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what we're anticipating. No, yeah, it'll be cool. I just like kind of in the same sense that we hope that the, the CFP would expand. I just like that it's something new and different that we're seeing from the conference and whether or not there's different outcomes because you have a different type of schedule. Yeah. It'll be it'll be really interesting. Yeah, we will see. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. This is a crazy, crazy time. And uh, that's I mean. This is 2020. This is college football, but we at least now know there's going to be some football attempted to be played. It's surreal, to be honest. I don't think it's fully hit me yet because I'm still in like absorbing the information mode. But the fact that we'll be actually covering some type of USC football in 2020, craziness, Ryan, craziness. Yeah, it is nuts. Well, here we are. Um, yeah, I think the MAC meets. Uh, tomorrow or something, so they could be back, and I think all the conferences would be back. Um, so it's, uh, it's yeah, you wouldn't have pictured this a few weeks ago or a month ago, <laughs> um, and and here we are. So I'm excited for it, but hopefully you guys all enjoyed this. Uh, it's sort of an emergency podcast because we had to do it like after the breaking news, but it really was just our delayed regular podcast. So uh, it was a planned planned emergency podcast <laughs> it was a planned emergency podcast that we knew it was gonna it's gonna happen either way no matter what happened yeah uh, it's funny i tweeted out like so we knew the the meeting was gonna be at three and john wilner reported the um there would be a media call at five and like three it was like a little after three or three thirty, and i i emailed someone at the pac-12 network or pack yeah pac-12 and they said we haven't confirmed there's gonna be a media call yet and i was like okay um, you know, maybe it was like 315 or something like that. So, and I tweeted out like, you know, Pac-12 spokesperson said they haven't confirmed anything. I fully anticipate there's going to be a call, but it'll probably be some kind of late announcement. And it wasn't that long after, I think it was maybe 340 that they, you know, made the announcement that there was going to be this media call and, uh, Ashley, uh, was Ashley Adamson, like was going to be yeah. the, the host. And then I tweeted out like, okay, they're playing football. Like there's no way they're going to like broadcast this live on Pac-12 Network and have Ashley yeah. host it unless they're going to be like, we had decided not to play football. You know? So like, it <laughs> sort of was like, to... yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, classic Pac-12 to tell you something and then contradict itself 30 minutes later. <laughs> yeah. And then like, oh, by the way, we're having a, a media call in, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, but you kind of knew what was going to happen. And then, uh, I, you know, some of the reporters started saying like, hey, they're going to, they're going to have a season. Uh, but you could kind of figure that out just by as quickly as it happened. You know, it was like 340 and you knew the vote had to be taken already. They were going to like announce some uh, media call and, and have it hosted and everything unless they knew they were going to be playing football. So there were some some positive uh, signs there and uh, we got here. It was yeah. a long, weird road, but we're here. 
And I think Wilner reported that uh, the presidents and chancellors of all California schools were prepared to vote to play before the meeting meeting even began. So I think they were they were ready, like you said, Ryan. And also, just shout out to John Wilner for being spot on this whole time. He is the Pac-12 source. He's very good. Uh, we're going to have him as a guest on our uh, podcast of champions again. Although he was, I kind of felt the whole time it was going to be November seventh, but he um, he was sort of like in the the Halloween camp. And I just didn't see how that was going to come together uh, that quickly. And, you know, Mike Bone talked about it. They wanted a unified front. I think, you know, Larry Scott talked about that too. And even though, you know, USC could have played October 31st and he would have preferred that, it was more important to be unified. And I know for whatever reason, and I I think John Canzano, who does a great job, uh, you know, up up in Oregon covering the Pac-12, he was sort of in the same camp as me. Yeah. But Willer had that. I don't know. There was just something he was holding out for. He thinking that October was like a realistic possibility, which I didn't. I just didn't think it was gonna be. Yeah. I mean, when Gonzano, because Gonzano had that column today about how the love language of university presidents is unity, and once you heard his like whole case, it made a lot of sense where they're gonna want to do everything together, considering they've done everything together, very united uh, so far. So that made sense. But I, I understood Wilner's point because some teams are just re- like really ready to go. But yeah, I mean, I think when you take a, a bigger look at it, the the November sixth, seventh made more sense. Yeah. All right. Well, we will uh, we'll see where we go from here. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle podcast. And I think we're going to have a lot more of them now that we know there's going to be actually football. So Yay. It's, I, I think it's firing up. The, hopefully it fires up the fans, but it fires up us, too, because it's sort of like, you know, an offseason that's lasting more than a year is not fun <laughs> so, or whatever, about, you know, nine months or whatever it is. Like, that's not real fun, you know. I mean, the off season is already painful for me. I just hate waiting for another football season. But just this long off season in Corona in quarantine was just not fun. So the fact that there's football is very exciting. Yeah, we're excited, and hopefully you guys are excited too. But that is uh, that's Keely Orr. I am uh, Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hyundai. 